I'm Chris Turner, and this is Tapestry's Empowered to Connect podcast. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Tapestry's Empowered to Connect podcast. Joining me again are Ryan and Kayla North. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hello, Chris. Wanted to have you on today so we could talk about the brain. Mm, I love the brain. Dun, dun, dun. And not in the zombie sense <laughs> of loving the brain. But she doesn't like eating. <laughs> no. That was a good point to clarify. No, no, I'm fascinated by it. It is fascinating. And you know, we, we talk a lot on the podcast about brain functions and maybe not necessarily in, you know, clinical terms and scientific terms, but you know, how our kids' brains function in relation to trauma, especially. Because all of our kiddos who come from foster care or through the adoption process have suffered some sort of trauma. And I wanted us to focus on specifically how trauma affects how the brain processes information. Because yeah. I think that's that's a problem I think we as parents don't necessarily recognize it when it's happening in our kids. Yeah, it's. I think the brain is so complex and there's so many different things that we hear and trying to take all that information in mm. and then us having to process, how do we help our kids through learning all this information? Mm. I, the first time I read the whole brain child, I was just like, this is so fascinating. But now every time somebody says something, Oh, that's in the whole brain child. I'm like, it is. I need to go back and reread that again mm -hmm. because you can't, there's just only so much your your brain can take in right. as you're trying to help your kids' brains. Yeah, there was a, a show on PBS that ran in 2015 that, that we just recently discovered called The Brain with David Eagleman. Oh, uh, yeah. David Eagleman is a neuroscientist. And we haven't watched the whole series yet. I think it's like there's eight episodes, uh, but it is beyond fascinating. And I think that anybody that want, wants to understand how humans live in relationship with each other needs to watch this thing. Um, the Brain with David Eagleman, and you can find it online. Um, it's on Amazon Prime TV. That's where we watched it. Uh, but but he's talking in, in the show specifically related to what we're talking about, how trauma impacts the brain. Mm. They discuss why why traumatic experiences seem to last so long. Right, because once you've moved from your upstairs brain back down to your downstairs brain, and you're, you know, everything's firing from the amygdala, your perception of time is literally altered. Mm -hmm. Right, that's why difficult things seem to go on so long. Right, that's when you fly through bad weather in an airplane; it seems like the turbulence will just not stop. It's been like ten seconds, and it's been like ten seconds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so there's this, um, you know, those guys who wear those squirrel jump, the squ flying squirrel suits. I forget what, the, what they're called. Or what, you know, a sort of amazing. Like jump off stuff and yeah, like, fly like down the mountain sides stuff. stuff. I yeah. forget what those suits are called. But um, there's this guy who um, he was filming some stunts, and so one of the things he wanted to do, he f jumped off a mountain, and he's trying to hit a balloon. Um, so that's his target. It's just a little one helium filled balloon mm. tied to a rock on the side of a mountain. And he gets his angle, and so he's got like GoPros on him, and there's cameras on this thing. So you, we get to see this from a bunch of angles. And he, um, he comes in at the wrong angle, and he comes in too flat because he's trying to, I guess, check his speed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And he hits the the rock surface with like his chest, Ooh. 
it's like goes, 125 miles an hour. Yeah, like terminal velocity crazy. at this point, right? Oh, and geez. so, and so he, he hits it. Uh, but at the angle that he hits it, he actually—I don't think he breaks any bones, <laughs> any any ribs. Mm. What happens though is um, it takes him six seconds from impact before he releases his safety parachute, mm. and because of the extreme duress that his that his his mind is now under, that is like the speed at which he's able to process what's going on around him. Because mm. most of us would think, "Oh no." Boom, emergency release cord. But it took him six whole seconds for his brain to communicate to his hand that he needed to to release the rip cord. Now, that's only important because it took him about seven seconds before he hit the earth. Mm. So he only has, has the help of the parachute to slow him down for like a second, second and a half. And so um, it probably slows him down enough to save his life. But what it does is it breaks both of his ankles and one of his legs. Mm. So now he's traumatized by the hitting the rock with his chest and he's laying there and a helicopter has to come and airlift him out. Right. This is the only way they can rescue this guy. Um, and it took them two and a half hours from the time he hit the rock surface until the, um, until he was airlifted out. He said laying there, he felt like he'd gone through like a whole day. Hmm. I think he may have even said like a week. Like he said, it seemed like eternity, right? Hmm. Like so much. Yeah, longer and, at and, the time. And they use this as an example of when you're operating from your primal brain, how, how reality is, is really very, very altered. And so your brain is an input interpreting machine, right? It doesn't actually have any contact with the outside world, but your eyes, what you're taking in visually are then trans, uh, translated into neurons and then your brain processes that, right? Mm. And and they're talking about how when you move from your upstairs brain to your downstairs brain, and, and a lot of times we, we really simplify this. We say, okay, they flip their lid and the child is acting out or they're raging or there's something we might call a tantrum. They're dysregulated. All the terms that we might use mm. is when they're operating in a, in a primal brain. Well, they've now actually, you know, Research this, this and tracked it and imaged it that even when you're really accessing that primal brain, reality is different for you. Right. Even t- time is now a, per- a perceived thing. It's not a real thing. And so I-, I think that it's important for us to remember that that it's not maybe when our kids are dysregulated and they're operating from that primal brain we may go, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that kid raged for two hours. And that kid may have felt like they were dysregulated for five minutes. They may have felt like they were dysregulated for six hours. Mm. Like we, we, like reality is not like aligned in this moment. And it was really eye opening for me because I got to thinking about how when our kids are behaving negatively, that I am processing what's going on at regular clock speed Mm -hmm. and their reality is completely Altered, And I think that if I can remember that, that may help me to be better with him in the moment. Mm. Like, like we had an incident this afternoon at the house and thinking about the extreme duress that my daughter was under during that helped me stay calm with her because I realized that her and I were not processing the moment in anything, in any way that was similar at all. Right. And I even said to her afterwards, aren't you happy that you live in a house where mom and dad let you process your emotions? Because <laughs> I wasn't raised in that house. Yeah, I don't think anybody listening to this, this episode was raised in that house either. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because one of our kiddos, he pretty much goes from, you know, when he's, when he's stressed or whatever, he, he will go from zero to thermonuclear war 
really quickly. Mm. Like yeah. there's no escalation. There's no you know DEFCON five to DEFCON four and so forth and so on. And if you don't know these terms, I'm talking about go watch the movie War Games um, <laughs> from the 80s. All the, all the Cold War kids out there will know what I'm talking about. In a confusing turn of events, the lower the DEFCON number is, the, the worse things are. The worst are. things are, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, DEFCON 1 was Global Thermal Nuclear War. And he gets there so quickly that sometimes we're just like, whoa, where did that come, like, from? Did that come from, right? And I think yeah. that's, it, it. I never thought about it until you just said it, that his perception of time is being altered outside of my perception of time. Right. Cause he was probably in a state of fear mm-hmm. long before you even realized he was in a state of right. fear. Right. And I think that's the thing with our kids is our kids oftentimes live in their amygdala mm. for big chunks of the day. Right. I mean, when we think of our, of ourselves, we think of, there are times when I'm in my and when I'm acting out of my amygdala and when I am, you know, reacting out of fear. But that's not the norm for us mm-hmm. as adults um, that are healthy and have, you know, kind of processed through things. But I think for our kids who are still processing and still making sense of their past, they live in their amygdala so much that. I mean, just that one little concept. I mean, I could just think about that for days trying to process what does that really mean for my kids Mm. and how does that really affect them? Because if they're in that state of fear and they're living in that, first of all, they said that their, their perception of the length of time seems different. They also said that when they live in a state of fear, that the memories are encoded more vividly. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because they're they're I think they said they were encoded more vividly, but they were also um, not necessarily reality, mm. which I think a lot of us have seen with our kids yep. is that it's kind of like those eyewitness accounts, right? And you get a different perspective from every person who saw the exact same thing happen mm-hmm. because they're all acting out of their amygdala because they were all scared in that moment. Mm. And so this one person hears something completely different than this other person. And it's not that one person was lying. It's just the way their brain processed that moment based on their own history, their own where they were and how that affected them. Mm -hmm. So it's so interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about kids that are lying. We talk Mm. a lot about kids that are um, making up these just crazy stories when in reality, a lot of that has to do with the way they're processing things that are going on around them. Mm. You know, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned lying because when you were talking, I was thinking about that because one of the things we get asked about a lot is lying. Um, we get asked about that a ton from parents. You know, how do I deal with lying? And one of the realities about the lying is that um, when they're living in that state of duress, when, when they're all operating from their, their amygdala, um, those, those memories are being coded differently and, and they really are recalling the way their mind remembered the event, right? And um, because what your mind does, we learned from, from Dr. Eagleman, is that your mind like processes things and eventually over time, um, what you take in is processed through this model of the world that your mind has been built, right? And so you don't 
every, every time a car drives by, you don't go, what is that loud mechanical shouty thing that mm-hmm. went by? You, your brain just understands it's a car. Because over time, it's come to understand what a motor vehicle looks like. Mm. And so, so many of our kids' experiences, these memories are being encoded in this really negative model view of the world. And they have really negative views of adults. Because, you know, there's firmly held a belief that adults hurt children. Well, what if your kid has that belief? You cannot change that belief system immediately. It has to happen over time, you have to change their perception of adults. Because mm. a lot of parents will say, well, well, they're safe, they're cared for, they're getting fed three times a day, they get snacks whenever they want them, we do snuggles at bedtime, why are they still acting this way? Why don't they understand that they're safe? Well, because you haven't done the long, hard work of changing how their brain views the world. Because mm. we really have to mentor their brains. Well, and for some of our kids, they lived in that state of fear for such a long time that we want it to change overnight or even in 10 years, you know, I mean, we may even have been in this for a really long time and we're still seeing some of these things and we say, why after all these years, but there were some things that were encoded in our kids' brains when they were little Mm. that are really hard for them to move past. Yeah. Um, In this first episode of the show, they, they, they do this experiment. It's out in Southern California. I forget which university it is. And they put these goggles on the participants and they live in this house and they put these goggles on them and all the goggle does is create a mirror image of reality for you, right? So everything that's on your right-hand side looks to be on your left-hand side, right? It just flips everything left, right in front of you, these goggles. Hmm. And so what they find is it, and they, and they have people wear them for two weeks in the experiment. And it takes about a week, a whole week for your brain to instinctively operate in an environment that it knows completely consciously what's going on. Right? So I put, well, you put these on me and you tell me, okay, Ryan, as soon as I put them on everything that's on your right hand side, that your right hand can touch by reaching it out in front of you will appear to be on your left hand side, but it will still be obviously on the right be on the right hand side. Yeah. And they put the goggles on. And the first thing the guy does when he's told to pick up a cup is he reaches over to the left side mm. just because, because your brain is driven visually. Right. And so they just, what you see, it tries to grab. It takes a whole week of wearing these goggles for your brain to be trained, to understand that what you see is on the opposite side in reality. Now, the guy put the goggles on for the first day, and then they took somebody who'd been living in the house for a week, and they made them walk through one of those garden mazes. Oh, no. And the guy who'd had the goggles on for a week walked through the garden maze perfectly. Mm. The guy who had just put them on an hour ago was like just stuck. He just stood there. He couldn't move because <laughs> he couldn't process mm. what was going on. And it made me th- – because I wasn't just watching it with the lens of, oh, this is fascinating about the brain. I was watching it with the lens of our children, right? Mm. And sometimes our kids, things are not what they seem. And that whole neurons wiring and firing, well, my neurons have fired and wired to where I see something to touch it. That's why instinctively the guy grabs on the left side where his eyes, even though he knows consciously that the things are not there, Mm. it was the craziest thing. But here was the other thing that was crazy. When you took the goggles off after two weeks, you had to readjust again. It took a whole 24 hours to readjust back to normal. Mm. It was not instantaneous. Hmm. So which, and I know that's just maybe a silly experiment, but it illustrates the point 
that um, when your mind is coding experiences in a way that's not normal, mm. for example, when you're living in a state of heightened stress and alertness all of the time, it's not just when you move from that stressful environment, i.e. the mirror imaged world, and you see things clearly, you don't go back to normal immediately. And this is one of the things that we had to learn, and it's one of the things that a lot of families that we work with really, really struggle with, this idea that my children are now in a safe, loving environment. Why are their behaviors not any different? Because it takes time to change what they truly believe. It takes time to adjust and recalibrate the model of reality that your brain subscribes to. And so, again, I cannot say enough. The Brain with David Eagleman, it is so, so fascinating, not only as an exercise in understanding the human brain, but really in uh, being insightful um, into how our kids view the world. Well, I thought it was interesting, that whole perspective of it took a week to adjust to this new way of looking at things, yet it only took a day to go back to what the brain had been doing for many years, right? Yep. And so I think sometimes when we see regression in our kids, that's what that made me think of too, mm. was, you know, we can be moving along and we're getting, things seem to be going in the right direction. They seem to be going in the right direction. And then something out of the ordinary happens and our routine is thrown off or, you know, a new child comes into our home and all of a sudden we see this regression because things have changed and they revert back to that old way of doing things. And that's kind of what that made me think of when I saw that, because I was looking at this also from that lens, because I just think the, the brain is so fascinating and there's always something new to learn. And how can I, how can I take what they're showing here? Because they were not doing it for, I mean, this, this show was not made so you could understand your kid from hard place. Right. I mean, that's not why it was made, but but I think all the things that we were looking at, we could kind of filter through that. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting. So fascinating. And we have a we have a mutual friend who got a firsthand experience on yeah. learning how her kids process trauma. Uh, they live in the Houston area, and their house was flooded uh, from Hurricane Harvey. And uh, they basically lost their first floor. They were living on the second mm. floor of their house and waiting for the water to subside. And she told us the story that when the water had gone away and they went to go buy a bleach mixture to you know treat the mold that was starting to set in or, or to treat so it wouldn't set in. And she got one of those pump sprayers that you can you know, buy at Lowe's or Home Depot. And she was sitting there reading the instructions on how she was supposed to you know prime the pump. And her she, she had to stop. Her brain literally could not process the simple instructions on the paper in front of her. Yeah. And I think she shared with you, Ryan, that that gave her an insight into the, the how trauma, because she was traumatized. I mean, she, right. her family lived, she, you know, they went through this flood together. I think that there's an interesting side note to add to that as well. Uh, and that is that this is a very, very smart individual. Yes. Like she's a petroleum engineer and an electrical engineer. Right. Like like becoming one engineer wasn't good <laughs> enough. She's a double engineer. And so she's, she's a really, really smart person. And she told me how, how this was really, really frustrating for her to be able to 
uh, not be able to process the simple instructions and those pump sprayers, right? I mean, mm. you let's be honest, you should probably be able to assemble one of those without instructions. Right. They're not they're not hyper complicated. But she, she literally could not translate those simple words from that instruction manual um, to actually making her hands do what it said. And she said it was just so frustrating for her. And it was all through how, how the, the trauma of, of are we going to lose our house? Are we going to be safe? Do we need to be evacuated? Are we going to end up living in a shelter? And all those things that she was thinking about as the rains kept coming down in Houston had really impacted her ability to process these simple, simple things. Mm. Now, the reason I love that story, and it's not because these people had to live through this this terrible thing, but the reason that I love that story is that um, how long it rained for, like four days or something mm. during Harvey. Think about if you're living in that state of constant fear for four years, mm-hmm. for eight years, for 12 years. Right. Think about how really, really difficult it is to then process these simple things because of the way your mind has been impacted by the complete duress that it's been living under. Mm. And so that's why, you know, I think it's really, really crucial for us to remember that that whole my kids developmental age is half the chronological age mm-hmm. is so, so important to remember. It's helped me through some really, really difficult things. I was actually speaking to somebody about it today and saying, you know what, if, if my 15-year-old son does something that's really, really frustrating and I, and I view it through the lens of, well, that's just really ridiculous for a 15-year-old to do that, well, then I'm going to be frustrated. But if I go, what would a seven, would a seven-year-old do that? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, and then I understand that if I expect seven-year-old behavior out of him in a lot of things, obviously wanting him to develop and mature past that, but understanding that that's where he's at, then it's my reaction's different because I go, oh yeah, my younger son would have done that and mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but it's because my 15-year-old son did that that I was like, dude, that's not cool. But if I understand that because of the trauma that he, you know, early on in his life, that he's not processing stuff um, at the speed that, or the way or the developmental stage that we want, that we want him to, then it makes my response to him really, really different. Mm. Um, I, I know... We could talk for hours more about this, and we probably should have more episodes, but but I know we need to wrap up here. But before we do, there was something you said about how your son um, goes like from zero to thermo, thermonuclear, <laughs> I think you said. Right. What's interesting, though, is when he's in that place, and, and, and I don't know if there's research on this. I certainly um, haven't done any on this, but... But what if in that moment what appears to be zero to thermonuclear in three seconds for him, because of his, him operating from his amygdala, he really feels like he has done everything he can mm-hmm. to regulate himself, to stay calm, to use his good words, to do everything mom and dad want him to do, have asked him to do. And those three seconds in reality feel like 15 minutes for him. And he just, and then he doesn't understand why we get mad because of the way that he's acting. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I mean, I tried my best. What more do they want from me? And then we just compound this idea that I'll never succeed. Um, So I think that really, you know, being a person of empathy and being a compassionate person are the the kinds of people our kids need. And I think that one of the really, really great way for us to make strides in becoming empathetic, compassionate people is for us to understand how our kids' brains process their trauma and now even in these safe environments where they don't yet feel safe, how they process living in those too. 
Well said, Ryan. And I think that's a good place for us to wrap up this episode. So, Ryan, Kayla, thank you again for being on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. If you have a question and you can fit it into now 280 characters, you can tweet it to us at Tapestry IBC. You can also find us on Facebook, also at Tapestry IBC. And we now have a Facebook group just for podcast listeners. You can search for Tapestry's Empower to Connect podcast community and request to be added to the group. You can also email us questions at tapestry at irvingbible.org. You can subscribe to this podcast on either iTunes or the Google Play Store. Just search for Tapestry Adoption Podcast. If you've enjoyed and gotten value from any of our episodes, we would appreciate a review in either location. Empower to Connect is the training and support community of Tapestry, the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. You can check our show notes for relevant links from this episode and find more resources on our website, empoweredtoconnect.org. Thanks for listening. 